This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. Maybe it's because I like the sound of my own voice. Who the heck knows? But I am squeezing in one more Scoop Podcast before the month of April ends. It is Scoop Podcast episode number 143. As much as I enjoy digging, doing this, the Scoop Maybe the best part of my job is seeing raw emotion. And I had a chance to experience that on Thursday night in Victoria at Frank Ragnow's house, at Frank Ragnow's mom's house, Marty. Frank, who went to Chanhassen High School, then to the University of Arkansas, was of course picked number 20 overall by the Detroit Lions. He is the first Metropolitan player to go in the first round since Michael Floyd, Creighton Darham Hall, St. Paul's own, went to the Arizona Cardinals in 2012. So it is incredibly rare. Heck, Larry Fitzgerald Jr. going back a number of years, Holy Angels. So I would say it's incredibly rare for a public school player in the metropolitan area to go in the first round of the draft. Now we own the second round when you think about John Carlson, James Laronitis, Max Williams, Rashid Hageman, but it is rare for a local player to go in the first round of the NFL draft. Frank Ragnow is an interior offensive lineman. Think about how hard it is, how rare it is for an interior offensive lineman to go in the first round of the NFL draft. On top of that, because it's what made the night so emotional, I need to mention that Frank tragically lost his dad, John, October 2016, to a heart attack. Frank had John's best friends at the party on Thursday night, all eight pallbearers. He had other friends of John's. He had family members. He had a bunch of high school friends. His agents were there. His high school coaches from Chanhassen High School were there, and he was nice enough to invite just a few media members, and I was fortunate enough to be there with my colleague Chris Long from 5 Eyewitness News, and just to see the emotion When he got that phone call from the Lions general manager, then talking to Matt Patricia, the Lions coach, then to Lions ownership, then the celebration in the room, it was euphoria. It was unbelievable. It is why I do this for a living. It's for moments like that, to be able to experience moments like that, to tell stories like that. And on Channel 5, 5 Eyewitness News, the main job on Sunday night at 1045, we will feature a lot of the video that we did not put on KSTP.com. So if you go to KSTP.com on the sports page, Chris put together a 12-minute long video summarizing the night. So it is worth your time, but there's some stuff that we did not put on the web that we will air on Channel 5 on Sunday night tied to John, to Frank's late father, John Ragnow. The pallbearers and Frank did a celebratory shot of John's favorite liquor, Marty, John's widow, was right there in the mix. It was just, it was an incredibly emotional night from so many different angles. And I'm so happy for Frank. I heard from actually Seth Stowes, who a lot of people listening right now are familiar with, from twinsdaily.com. He covers the Twins minor leaguers as well as anyone. His sister teaches at Chanhassen High School. She's got no stake in the game, but she has told Seth on numerous occasions what a great young man Frank is. I've heard that from Many, many people. Best of luck finding anyone to say a bad word about Frank Ragnow. So you've got this incredible young man 
with the night of his life, getting the phone call of his life from the Lions, goes pick 20, had no idea the Lions had so much interest. He thought maybe 21 to Cincinnati, maybe 24 to Carolina, the Vikings, which I'll get to in a second, had all sorts of interest in Frank. He thought, yeah, there's a good chance I'll go in the first round, but no guarantees. He had no idea he would go pick 20 to the Lions. So just to see all the emotions come out of Frank, his mom, his sisters, his brother, all his friends, his other family members. It was just an incredible night. Speaking of that, I caught up with Frank shortly after the celebration died down a bit. That party went deep into the night on Thursday, but I did have a chance to catch up briefly with Frank. I will play that conversation right now. Frank, when Agent Joe handed you that phone, when you knew that you were going pick 20 to Detroit, what were the emotions going through you? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh it's really hard to describe. Um, there was just tears, tears and excitement and just like, just, I mean, you can't really put words to your dream coming true. So it was pretty cool. You know, thinking about my dad, how proud he is. I, I could feel my mom crying, how proud she was and just all the people behind me freaking out. It was a pretty, pretty cool moment. Your dad's got the best seat in the house. What do you think he's thinking up there right now? I bet he's telling every single person how proud he is of me. That's how he was. He was very proud of Frank Ragnow, and I know he's he's very excited right now. This was a real, a real celebration. I mean, you think about the eight pallbearers. I mean, all the people that knew your dad, knew you growing up. What did it mean to have a celebration like this? Well, you know, I just, there's a lot of great people in my life, um, whether it's friends, coaches, my dad's friends, my mom's friends, family. And there's so many people that have made me who I am today, and I just wanted everybody to be here. Have you ever hugged your mom so hard in your life? I don't think so, and I don't think she's ever hugged me that hard in my life. And <laughs> <laughs> what about the celebratory shots? I saw you guys doing some shots yeah. with, with was was it with the Paul Bears? Yeah, apparently it was my dad's favorite liquor. Uh, that'll be the last shot of the night, though. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> How much pre-draft correspondence did you have with Detroit? Did you have any sense that you could go pick twenty? Uh, I had a combine interview with them, and they said on the phone they said that they were. They were really trying to keep it low-key. They thought I did great in the combine, and they thought I was a great player, and they are very excited to have me. So to be honest, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm more than thrilled to be there. I guess it's lucky then that you had a Lions hat here. Exactly. I was prepared for anything. I mean, do you know anything about their scheme, what Coach Patricia is trying to accomplish with, with his offensive line play? Um, not really, but I'm excited to dig in, and I know that Coach Patricia is a heck of a defensive coordinator for the Patriots, and I'm excited to get to work for him. I believe after this, I mean, we had talked in February about, hey, it'd be cool if you went pick 30 to the Vikings. You don't go to the Vikings, but now you get to play the Vikings uh-huh. twice on a yearly basis. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool. It'll be cool. I think uh, it'll definitely be cool for my family to see me. It'll be cool to get back and play in U.S. Bank Stadium and play them in Detroit. So it'll be very fun. I will also play here a conversation I had with one of John's best friends, one of his pallbearers, Brian Head. And after this conversation with Brian, then I'll pass along some tidbits especially involving the Vikings' interest in Frank. But here's my conversation with one of John's best friends, the late John Ragnow, Brian Head. Just take us through the background of, of how far back you and Frank go. Oh, geez. Uh, Johnny and I have been best friends since uh, Cub Scouts, so watching his kids grow up pretty much the same age as mine. We hunted, fished, go to the cabin, did everything. I mean, it's always been his dream. I've known that since I've first met Frank at probably two years old first week could speak saying I want to be a pro football player it was and it's awesome to see how he worked his butt off to get to where he's been and where he is today his dad would have been so proud um, and just going back through the years and 
you know, hey, Johnny, you want to go here? You want to go there? You know, and it was like, nope, got basketball tonight, got football tonight, got hockey. You know, it was just, he was so proud of his kids, and it was unbelievable how proud he would be tonight. It's surreal. It's awesome. He's got the best seat in the house. What What do you think John is thinking right now? Oh, uh, <laughs> when, when can we go fishing? <laughs> You know, can you get time off to go fishing? Because Johnny loved to fish and hunt, and, and we all did. And, you know, Frankie's made him proud, very proud. He's probably thinking, you know, Brian, I'm, I'm going to line up all these road trips. We'll, we'll stop in Wisconsin, right? We'll go hunting and fishing, and then we'll make it to Detroit by Sunday morning for, for a Lions game. That's right. We probably would, too, because uh, we've, we've planned many a trip. So you look around the walls, the walleyes and, the you know, the different fish on the walls. Um, we've done a lot of fishing and hunting and sports and you name it. It's been a, been a journey. His dad was a great guy. Family's a great family. Nothing, nothing more I could say. What was that moment like? I mean, I took the picture with your cell phone. What was that moment like when, presumably, that was that was John's favorite favorite adult beverage of choice when you guys did the shots? Yeah, uh, earlier today, my buddy called me. You know, we have a joke. We, Marty now has eight husbands. Um, you know, there's eight pallbearers, and one of them called me today and asked, what was Johnny's favorite uh, scotch? And I'm like, I must not have been that great of a friend because I couldn't remember. I said, when we go to Canada, he was always bringing um, Crown Royal. But uh, I knew it wasn't Crown Royal. But uh, he called one of the other eight husbands and found out and brought it with. So it was kind of kind of cool to see that, uh, you know, we all did a shot in Johnny's, Johnny's memory. And what about the picture when Frank finally came over and all you guys were sitting there on the couch? Awesome. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's just awesome. I mean, like I said, he worked his butt off to get to where he's at. He, even when we went up fishing, he would always take time out to work out and go out to the end of the dock, do push-ups, sit-ups, swim to the other side of the lake, um, swim back, canoe with uh, you know half a paddle just to make it more challenging. That was just the kind of guy he was. Three hours ago or eight hours ago, who was your favorite team? Well, of course, the Vikings. <laughs> Who's your favorite team now? It's still got to be a little bit of Viking, but I'm definitely going to cheer for uh, Detroit. I just can't thank Frank, Marty, the entire Ragnall family, all of John's friends, everybody that was there for welcoming us into their house, for granting us the access that they did. All right, the buzz is the Vikings wanted Ragnall badly, that there was dialogue with Ragnall's camp up until Thursday late morning, early afternoon. The Vikings were trying to find a way to land Frank Ragnow. He took a visit to the Egan facility in early April. Then he also sometime thereafter had a meal with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. The Vikings did all sorts of homework on Ragnow. The Vikings were huge fans of Frank Ragnow. There just wasn't a scenario where they could get up from 30 to be in a position to draft him. But just know that Frank Ragnow was very high on the Vikings board. Also, the Ravens had a lot of interest in Frank. The Falcons at pick, where were they? Somewhere in the late 20s. They were trying to find a way to move up for Frank. Head coach Dan Quinn came to Minnesota a couple weeks ago, put Frank through a private workout. The word is he knocked that workout out of the park. The Panthers, the Bengals, all sorts of teams had all sorts of interest in Frank. They should have. He did not allow a sack in his Arkansas career. Heck, think about it, how hard it is in the SEC to play as a true freshman. Frank did that 
as a true freshman. He played. He got snaps. He didn't start right away, but he played as a true freshman. Then was a three-year starter. Yes, he suffered an ankle injury in October, but he rehabbed it just fine. Dr. Josh Sandell here in town did a marvelous job getting that ankle back to normal. Frank can dunk a basketball. He can run the 40 in under five seconds. He's well over 300 pounds, but you wouldn't know it. You look at him, you think he's 270, 275. Incredibly strong. He can play center. He can play guard in a pinch. He can even play tackle. So I can see why the Lions thought there was incredible value at pick 20. The Lions had the worst running game in the NFL last year. They do add LeGarrette Blunt. They still have some other guys in-house. Maybe they take a running back this weekend. But certainly they thought, hey, we can help the running game by adding to the offensive line. So the best of luck to Frank Ragnow. By the time you're listening to this, it might be after rounds two and three. It might even be late Saturday or Sunday after the entire draft. If you want the latest on some teams that have interest in the local guys like Jake Wenicky, Jack Sitchi, Stephen Richardson, Ryan Santoso, any number of gophers, check out Scoop Podcast episode 142. J.C. Hassenauer as well, Alabama offensive lineman from Woodbury. He went to Eastridge High School. But I'm not going to go over all those names again on this episode. But again, if you want the teams that are in on all those guys, check out Scoop Podcast episode 142. I can tell you I will be surprised if by the end of the weekend the Vikings don't draft a tight end. I think they go defensive line at some point and clearly offensive line. Plus, they like that running back from North Carolina State, Hines. He would be a replacement for Jarek McKinnon, depending on if they're in a position to get him. And I know the Vikings like a good amount of wide receivers. So those are some of the positions to look at if you're listening to this, say, early Friday, or at least early in terms of where the draft is as we head into the later part of Friday, then Saturday. But the Vikings will certainly add to their roster this weekend. Here is one Vikings note I will reiterate, something I've said going back a few episodes, but it's timely because of the selection of Mike Hughes at the end of the first round on Thursday. The Vikings still have interest in bringing back, actually it's twofold, the Vikings still have interest in bringing back Terrence Newman, but he has to take a pay cut. So it remains a stare down. Now the Vikings have that much more leverage. Newman played at $3.2 million approximately last year. The Vikings have no interest in having Newman back at that number. He has to take a pay cut, maybe even a sizable pay cut if he wants to be on the Vikings in 2018. Also, Trey Waynes' fifth-year option is for a tick over $9 million, maybe a couple ticks over $9 million. The word is from Waynes' camp, even after the Hughes pick, that they fully expect the Vikings to pick up the fifth-year option next week. The deadline is late next week or maybe middle of next week. Waynes' camp still fully expects the Vikings to pick up the fifth-year option, but that is something worth keeping an eye on just because that side thinks it's a done deal. Maybe the Vikings are thinking something different, but the Waynes camp has been led to believe by the Vikings. They have no reason to think otherwise, even after the Hughes pick, that the Vikings will exercise that fifth-year option. No fancy swoosh to transition between sports. We'll just keep rolling here. I'll actually go another interview, then I'll empty out with some notes, although I gave you all the Ragnow information just a little bit ago. But here's my conversation with Jonathan Mann. He is a sophomore wide receiver from Rosemount High School. Heck, the path he is on in a number of years. We might be talking about Jonathan Mann as a late first-round pick, going to a team maybe like the Vikings, who knows, at pick 30. Or at least being in a position to be a draft pick. P.J. Fleck and his staff 
cultivated, developed Corey Davis at Western Michigan a year ago. He went in the top five to the Tennessee Titans. So that staff knows what they're doing when it comes to producing big-time wide receivers. Hopefully Fleck and his staff are still here in a handful of years. Hopefully Notre Dame or some other big university doesn't track Fleck down and convince him to leave here. But anyway, Jonathan Mann of Rosemount High School, class of 2020, committed to the Gophers about seven to ten days ago. He is the first recruit to commit in the class of 2020 for P.J. Fleck. Anyway, I was at Rosemont High School a couple days after his commitment. I caught up with the young man. He's a sophomore in high school. He is so well-spoken. You will enjoy this interview. You will enjoy it because he is so good. It has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my questions. This kid's future in broadcast journalism is off the charts good. I can promise you that, but hopefully for his sake, he plays in the NFL or plays in the CFL, plays professional football for a number of years and doesn't start his broadcasting career until he's well into his 30s. But if he wants to be a broadcaster immediately after college, he can do that too. His future is so, so bright in so many different ways. Here's my conversation with Rosemount wide receiver Jonathan Mann, who committed to the Gophers football team. Jonathan, why Minnesota? Um, when we first started looking at colleges, my family and I maybe made a list of what all we would want in a college. And uh, as we continually we came back to Minnesota, we realized that they just kept checking off the boxes and that there was no other reason to, to wait and commit right now. So it was a perfect college. What are those boxes? I mean, we're talking what academics, certainly the coach you'll play for, the offense you'll play in. Am I forgetting anything? Um, just a big, a big part, um, is like the closeness. I just like, I like to stay home and, uh, be able to play in front of my community here and, um, being close to my family is big. So just being, being close. And then, like you said, like I want to be in broadcast journalism. So they have to have a strong, um, strong journalism program. And so that was also a big part of it too. I'm biased because I'm I'm a University of Minnesota broadcasting journalism alum. So yeah, I mean, you think about all those boxes. Minnesota was perfect. Mhm. Yeah, we also liked um the coach, obviously, coach Fleck. He's a he's a great guy. Um and uh coach Simon, I'm excited to get to work with uh both of them. High energy like me. So uh I think that was also very attractive to us. Was it also attractive to be the face of of their 2020 recruiting class? I mean, They'll recruit a lot more guys, but but you're the best player in the state, so you think about being the best player in the state, the first commit, you're now going to be the face of, of the 2020 recruiting class. Um, well, I mean, I guess I don't, I don't look at myself as uh, being the best player in the state because, I mean, I don't know how you would decide that for sure, but um, I just like to, it's like, it's nice to know that being a leader and somebody that people look up to, I think, is uh you're able to, like, to help something, like help a process start. So like Minnesota is on the up and up, and uh, it'll, be able to, it'll be nice to be able to help them out and uh, do some recruiting in 19 and 20 classes, so that's nice. Did it all happen pretty fast? I mean, when did the Gophers first offer you? I mean, was it just a few months between them offering you, you taking a few visits there, then you committing earlier in the week? Yeah, I think it was, if I'm correct... I, I can't really remember, but I saw somewhere it was February 26th, so it was only it was only a few months. But um, like like I said, all the boxes were checked off, so there was no reason to wait. So yeah, was it hard to tell? I mean, you had Arkansas, you had Iowa, Iowa State. Was it hard to to tell those schools no? 
Um, yeah, it was it was pretty hard. Um, I know they're all they're all great institutions and uh, great coaches and everything. And um, it's it wasn't like it wasn't their fault. It was just uh, that I guess Minnesota fit me just a little bit better. And so it was nothing wrong with them, but it was, so it was hard to it's hard to tell uh, tell them now that I wasn't be able to come. So yeah. Will you keep an open mind? I mean, undoubtedly, other schools are going to offer you, even though you are a verbal commitment to the Gophers. Over the next year to 18 months, you're going to get more offers. I mean, do you listen to those, or are you a hard commit no matter what? It's 100% you will be a Gopher. 100% I will be a Gopher. My word is my word, and um, my commitment is uh, to the University of Minnesota. And um, so uh, I'll, I'll uh, be thankful if any other colleges offer me. But Minnesota is where I'm going. So, what went so well for you your sophomore year? I mean, looking at looking at the numbers. I mean, you put up some big time numbers last fall. Um, it was really the the quarterback connection. Uh, my quarterback Max Carter and uh, and I we we spent a lot of time working, just on not necessarily always getting out and running routes and throwing and catching passes and stuff like that, but just like just spending time with each other, being comfortable with each other, being able to trust each other so he knew where I was going and I knew where he was throwing it to and stuff like that. And also the coaches, obviously, they, um, not going to lie, at the beginning of the, the year, my route running was uh, non-existent. And so I just kind of, I kind of ran around on the field and with a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of work, the coaches helped me, uh, shape me and uh, a more, a more formed receiver. So I think that helped a lot. All right. So at the beginning of the year, route running was, in your words, close to non-existent. What was what was existent? I mean, great hands. I mean, ability to go up and, and win fifty-fifty balls. What what made you a great player before you became a great route runner? Um, I guess what made me um, maybe be able to compete is just my height and my size. Yeah, most cornerbacks are like five, five nine, five ten. And me being like six four, it's a, a big advantage, and so I enjoyed uh, catching catching uh, jump balls over a lot of cornerbacks. So that was fun. Six four, are you are you done growing, or are the growth plates still open? Could you get to six five six six? Um, I think I'm still growing. My mom says I'm still growing. She has to buy me some new pants every often, and um, she doesn't like that very much. But yeah, I think I think I'm still growing. So maybe six five six six. I mean, is that crazy to think about that you might get as high as as six six and and what do you weigh like one ninety two hundred pounds? Um, it still doesn't. I don't feel like I'm that tall, but sitting next to other people, I think it's it's a uh, it's definitely a blessing to be to be taller. And yeah, I'm about one ninety, so uh, hopefully I'll I'll fill out a little bit more and put on some more pounds. So it'll be nice. What else keeps you busy besides besides football? I know you're an excellent track star. Um, I guess there's never a dull moment in my life during the school year, at least. Um, I go from football to basketball to track, and then um, I don't, there's there's not a lot of other time uh, to do things, especially during the school week. But then um, on the weekends, I just like to finally be able to relax and you know spend a lot of time with my friends and family, and uh, I guess. Then uh, on Monday, get right back into sports. So, what about the summer? I mean, will you go to some football camps? What will keep you busy this summer? Um, I'm going to a few of the Gophers camps and be able to work with the coaches and you know see how 
they do things and um, what tips they have for me. Um, and then I'm hoping to go to, if I can find a ride, to the, uh, the Nike opening. So that'd be exciting. And um, there's uh, just, just some workouts here at uh, Rosemount and um, some basketball training. And uh, it's not, not much else, but I like, to, I like to relax during the summer a little bit. So, What about P.J. Flex offense, Kirk Shiraka's offense, the way that, that Coach Simon can coach you up? What, what appeals to you about the Gophers' offense specifically? Um, I think uh, something that appeals to me is that they like to use bigger receivers. Like, you know, Tyler Johnson, if you saw him in the spring game, um, they, they, they use him very well, and they know uh, like what each player can do. And uh, there's, a, there's a good mix of passing and running. So it's a nice pro-style offense to show, be able to show uh, other people and potentially NFL scouts that um, you're not just a one-dimensional player, that you're able to catch passes and you're able to block and you're able to run with the ball. And so I think the, the versatility of the offense was very attractive. Speaking of NFL, I mean, is that, is that a dream one day to, to maybe get to that level? I mean, broadcasting can start maybe after a nice NFL career. Um, NFL is definitely the dream, but I realize that um, the chances are very slim and that football is not my entire life. So uh, I'm going to be working on the, the broadcasting first and if the NFL, I'll, I'll work as hard as I can to get to the NFL. But then if, if I don't make it, then I'll know I'll still have that, that broadcasting degree and get a good job. Future Gophers wide receiver from Rosemount High School. He's only a sophomore. He is Jonathan Mann. Here's how I know Jonathan is locked in on academics and athletics. He doesn't have a cell phone. It's not often that we see 10th graders not have a cell phone. But, hey, kudos to Jonathan. He knows where his priorities lie. Also on the Gophers football recruiting front, I don't do a lot of the national stuff. In fact, pretty much, unless it's the quarterbacks, I really don't. And I know the Gophers have some new quarterback offers out. I haven't even been tracking those. I should check with somebody over there, at least on that front. But I do follow, at least as much as I can, the local scene. So I'm looking at Quinn Carroll. He's a junior from Edina High School. And I'm looking at Bryce Benhart. He's a junior from Lakeville North High School. Both guys are big-time offensive linemen. Benhart has 13 offers. He has Michigan. He has Notre Dame. He has Tennessee. He has Oklahoma. He's got so many good offers, including the Gophers. Iowa State was in this week. If I had to handicap his situation, I lean Wisconsin. As for Quinn Carroll, I lean, I continue to lean, Notre Dame. He's got his final six. He recently took visits to Virginia Tech and Penn State and to Notre Dame. In fact, I saw a picture on social media of Quinn Carroll at the Notre Dame spring game with Kyle Rudolph of the Vikings, former Notre Dame tight end. A few other notes. I heard Greg Paulus, who was looking for a job, was practically slurping Richard Petit at a recent AAU event. So Paulus is trying his best to get that open assistance job. His name is certainly in the mix, but the word continues to be that Patino is in no rush. But certainly Paulus's name is one to watch. Patino, his assistants Ed Conroy, and Rob Jeter, and Ryan Livingston. Right now, Ryan, who's director of operations, can travel on the road for recruiting purposes. They will be spread out across the country this weekend. It's another open recruiting weekend. There are AAU events. Actually, there's one here in the Twin Cities this weekend. The big one is in Atlanta with Matthew Hurd, Zeke Naji, Tyrell Terry, D1 Minnesota. 
and there is one in Indianapolis. So those are the three locations this weekend where Gophers coaches will be spread out. Boy, I hope you'll watch Channel 5 if you are in the Channel 5 viewing area, which certainly extends far north, pretty far south, pretty far west, pretty far east. You don't have to be in the Twin Cities metropolitan area, or you can always watch our newscasts online at kstp.com because sometimes I will save the occasional scoop note for my main employer, for TV first before it's on this podcast or on 1500 ESPN or on Twitter. So it was a couple Thursdays ago I said if Chuck Fletcher gets relieved of his duties, at the time Chuck Fletcher was still the Wilds general manager, I said Paul Fenton, Nashville assistant general manager, would be the front runner to take over. That remains the case. Fenton was in town earlier this week to interview. You'll see some other names pop up. Brian Lawton is seeking out an interview because he's in town. There's a good chance Craig Leopold will grant him that interview, former Tampa general manager. You've got Tom Fitzgerald, who Craig knows, who used to be with the Predators, who's now in the Devil's front office. So you'll see some other names pop up, but make no mistake, this is Paul Fenton's job to lose. I do know there's some national media Wondering if Fenton ultimately will take this job. I hear from multiple sources that Fenton absolutely wants to be the Wilds general manager. So signs point to probably sometime next week, maybe the week after, but probably next week, Paul Fenton being the Wilds' new general manager. On the Twins front, Byron Buxton is back in town, but not in the lineup on Friday. I am told that Bone Bruise is still annoying him. There's some hope he'll be back in the lineup relatively soon, but it may not be at 1 o'clock on Saturday or 1 o'clock on Sunday. The disappointment is, the word is, that the Twins rushed to put him on the disabled list. Now, the previous Twins regime took a lot of heat for waiting too long to put a guy in the DL. So Twins employees, Twins front office members are almost in a no-win situation. The Twins had to react, but there is a sense that they put him on the DL too soon. So if they hadn't put him on the DL, he was actually ready to play last weekend in Tampa. If they had not put him on the DL, he doesn't play in that Florida State League game, doesn't fall a ball off his foot, doesn't hurt that bone. But, hey, it happened. That's hindsight being 2020. But I just know that Buxton felt like he was ready to help the big league squad as soon as last weekend that the Twins did not need to put him on the DL. As for the Wolves, that was on 1500 ESPN on what day was it? It was one day earlier this week. Was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? Oh, boy, I can't even remember. You know what it was the day of Game 5 because we knew inevitably the Wolves season was going to end We talked about that. So it would have been Wednesday in the 10 a.m. hour. You can find that podcast. So I was on for a half hour. We did one heck of an autopsy on the Wolf season, even though at that time the season wasn't officially over, but we knew it was going to end. In summary, although I absolutely recommend you listen to it, the word is if the Wolves had lost to Denver in the regular season finale, that somebody's head was going to roll. Was that Tom Thibodeau's head? I don't think so. Not with $24 million left in his contract, but would they have restructured the front office? Maybe had brought in some sort of somebody above Tibbs, a president of operations or whatever fancy title they would have concocted. But at this point, I don't know if we are going to see changes. I know there's some unrest. Heck, there's unrest in in all portions, or at least from many different tentacles, angles 
of that organization. We could maybe see a change, not a big change, a subtle change in the front office. But as far as I can tell, Tom Thibodeau is back for year three next year, year three of his five-year $40 million contract, approximately $40 million. And I believe Scott Layden will be back as the general manager. It will be another fascinating offseason for the Wolves. Last year was fascinating because they had all that cap space in different ways this offseason will be very, very fascinating. But in terms of cap space, they have the mid-level exception, and depending on how they do some things without getting into all the minutia of the salary cap, they may not even have the full mid-level exception, which is for approximately $8.5 million. So they'll have to get some guys here on minimum contracts and convince guys to take less money to play here, but there is no sense... Now, who knows? Tibbs might put on a good sell job. Hey, he did it with Jamal Crawford. But there's no sense, there's no evidence that Tibbs is going to use his bench a lot. Even though the owner, when the owner meets with Tibbs here in the next week or two or three, the owner is going to tell Tibbs, please, can you use your bench more next year? And Tibbs might say, yeah, I plan on doing that. But will he really do that? Will free agents buy his rhetoric? That remains to be seen. Now, they can make some trades. I do think the roster will change. I do get the sense that Tibbs, Layden, other members of the front office do feel like the roster still needs a good amount of work. So it will be a busy summer of being on the phone. But in terms of having cap space, that will not be the case. I will now wrap this bad boy up. The main reason for recording this podcast on Friday night, the 27th of April, right as draft day two began was just to a pass along the interview I did with Frank Ragnow B the conversation with one of John Ragnow's best friends Brian Head then to pass along the big nugget that the Vikings wanted Ragnow badly but I forgot that I had the Jonathan Mann conversation to play back so I did that ended up mentioning a few other notes Hopefully that is good enough for this episode of the Scoop Podcast. Hey, I suppose if you've made it this long, I guess it was good enough. And if you're not listening to this, maybe you listened to the Ragnell interview or the man interview, then you said, hey, I'm done with this podcast. You're not listening to this portion anyway. But if you are still listening, have a wonderful weekend. I will be back next week with episode 144.